0: Welcome to The Charge. Hey, Dan, I appreciate you coming on for the podcast. Thank you for sitting down. I have Dan French. He was in the Vietnam War and a three-time Purple Heart awardee. And uh, thank you for taking a couple minutes just to sit down and tell your story. Um, I want to open up. I always like to open up with this question. Why did you join the Army?
1: Well, it's an honor to be here. Um, And the story is I lived in the small town of Ada, Oklahoma, and uh, I was in college there and, and Ada is extremely small and my, my future was either I could be a tool and die maker at the glass plant, Hazel Atlas glass plant, Continental Can, or I could be a school teacher or I could work in a filling station. So I didn't join the Army I escaped Ada.
0: <laughs> so instead of sticking around Ada, you decide I'm going to join the army. And it was this prior to the Vietnam War starting.
1: Yes, it was prior to the. They, they had now they had uh, they had CIA and and stuff like that there. But as far as uh, regular ground troops, there were no troops in. Vietnam at that time.
0: And did did you join under the expectation of potentially having to go to war, or was it just more of like, hey, this is an opportunity, and wherever that takes me, that's where I'm going to go?
1: Uh, where it takes me, because when I joined in 63, the first units did not go to the Nam first full units until 65, so that was two years off.
0: And what did you end up doing? So you, you made it through boot camp, and you're getting your MOS for the Army. What, what was that MOS?
1: Uh well, when I went through BASIC and AIT, they call it Advanced Infantry, at Fort Polk, Louisiana, uh, I was just a, what they call a picket fence. They've changed all the MOS uh nomenclature now and it's five bravo and things of this nature but in my day it was one 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 which meant you were just a ground pounder
0: you were just a, a master of all trades then all right a master <laughs> of the rifle I carried <laughs> and you'd show me your qualifications at boot camp and you qualified really well and so on the rifle the m1 grand and yeah. did they did they want to push you that way or it just happened to be luck that you ended up with that job
1: no, it. Uh, you just qualified with the M1 Grand. Then when we got to uh, when we got to uh, AIT Advanced Infantry, this was all at Fort Polk. If I didn't say that, Fort Polk, Louisiana, uh, they trained us with the M14. And once we got, once I got to uh, Fort Bragg, I was issued the M16. So I got trained in all three of them. They were.
0: So the M-16 was just kind of kicking off. It
1: was just starting. We were the first unit to have it.
0: Yeah. And then so when did you go to Vietnam for the first time?
1: I went to Vietnam. We arrived in Vietnam July the 29th, 1965.
0: And was it pretty hot and heavy at that time, or was it just kind of the beginning of?
1: It was the the conventional type warfare. Well, it wasn't conventional. We were fighting uh, insurgency guerrillas, and it was all until the NDA started, which was right away. The NDA is in North Vietnamese Army. Until they got into it, it was most of the guys had just been fighting guerrillas.
0: So it just kind of just scattered soldiers mm-hmm. throughout. Now they're starting to organize. And did what? you're a part of the 101st Airborne. Yeah. Right? And then, yes. <clears throat> So what was your job for them?
1: I was long-range recon. I was the Hawk platoon of the 2nd 327.
0: And you had a special code name, right?
1: Hawk one three.
0: Hawk one three. That was your code name. That was my call sign. And so what would you do as a recon for the hundred and first?
1: Sneak and peek. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> literally that's what you do. You're not going out there to start a fight. Yeah. the only time you're gonna fight is if they if they find you. But my my job was to go uh, Battalions would do m- big sweeps, mm-hmm. and they would send us out in front of the sweeps to make sure there were no ambushes, or to see what they were going to face. Are they going to face just regular guerrillas in this area? Did we come across any MVA troops? You know, it, it just intel.
0: So you're like a, a scout, essentially. You're going a out. Scout there. would
1: be a good name for you. Yeah, it, yeah. You're
0: out there looking for the enemy prior mm-hmm. to the arrival. So what was your first? Do you ever remember your first ever scout mission, your first ever recon mission?
1: Yeah, it was up in NK we went to we, that was the first place we went NK was a mountain pass between Quyon on the beach and Pleiku right up on the Cambodian border and at Pleiku the special forces had an A camp and the, this NK was a, was like a mountain pass from Pleiku back to Quyon so the supply that was a supply route and NK was held by the communists. So we went into NK and took Ank away from them. And also we did it because that's where the Air Cav uh, went in. That was their home base, the Air Cav. And we cleared it so they could come in unopposed.
0: So and you you went in there and just essentially let them know where those those enemy soldiers were so that way they could clear it out? Or
1: No, no, no. I went in there ahead of the 101st. Uh-huh. The teams went in ahead of the 101st. And then the 101st full on came in and kicked their butts out of there. <laughs> <laughs> and did you help with, would you help with the fight afterwards too? Or uh, Sometimes. Sometimes we got caught up in the fighting. But yeah. uh, usually they, they kind of protected us to be real honest with you. Because they, we were very specialized and if, if you can keep it, you don't want to throw your specialized troops out on the front lines to shoot a machine gun
0: yeah yeah and so what would so i remember you telling me the story about being on the ships and then you getting busted down and then getting promoted (laughs) and stuff
1: (laughs) that was in uh, the philippines we left san francisco and we hadn't we hadn't seen anything but open ocean we were on a we were on a ship called the General Leroy L. Tinge. And if there was ever a scow of the Pacific, this was it. <laughs> Down below, once, especially when we got into the warmer waters of, of, of the South Seas, there was no air conditioning below. You, you guys in the Navy have all the air conditioning. <laughs> there was no air conditioning. It was stifling hot. The guys... The guy's butt in front of me was like 10 inches away from my face. Oh, in We're the racks? We are in the racks, yeah. And we actually slept on deck. We went out and slept on deck. And the whole, everybody's on deck, and you had to be there early to find a place on deck. Nobody slept below because you just couldn't sleep at all. It was 90, 100 degrees down there. I mean, it was just, ah, oh, it was bad. And so anyway, we get to Subic Bay there in, uh, Vietnam, I mean, excuse me, in the Philippines. And we're going to... I'm, I'm sure they refueled and stuff like this, but they started breaking down the Connex containers where the weapons would be easy to get at. And so we were parked right next to a ship, and they wouldn't let us off the ship and uh, because we were only going to be there for just several hours. And we noticed that to get off the ship, you had to go from the General Leo El Tinge. By a, a, a gangplank over to another ship, and then walk across the other ship and go down onto the dock. And we're standing there, and we're watching the KPs, uh, the guys that are on kitchen police patrol. Guys that are washing dishes, uh, and they were carrying out the trash cans. And we noticed that they had the that they had their T-shirts on and their soft caps, like their baseball caps, and. And, they just, and with the t-shirts you could spot who was on kp because everybody else had their green fatigues on and so we decided that we'd find us some trash cans so we took our uniforms our top uniforms our shirts off and dropped them down in the trash can and we were carrying this, the soft caps on our head. You know, we were wearing the soft caps. And so we just walked right off of the ship with empty trash cans with our shirts in the trash cans. And there were like six of us. And we just walked right off the ship. And when it, they couldn't see us when we went around behind the dumpster. So we threw the trash cans in the dumpster, took our <laughs> shirts, put them on, and just walked down the— We didn't get 100 yards, 150 yards from the <laughs> ship. And they had these little beer joints. And they had these barrels set up. And they just had plank wood on the barrels, you know, and some of them had a chair here or there, but basically you just walked up to the bar, the piece of board, and they had these big washtubs with beer and ice. And so we're we're just uh, just sitting there and we're drinking beer, you know, like any twenty-year-old kid does. And in comes these marines. And of course, Putting paratroopers and marines together is like throwing gasoline on a fire. And it ain't going to work. <laughs> anyway, the, the MPs came, arrested us, and hauled us all back onto the ship at handcuffs.
0: <laughs> and then you ended up getting allegedly busted down. Well,
1: yeah, uh, they. Uh, One of the company commanders that was on watch that night, uh, that day, was uh, Iron Mike Plummer. Now, he was a West Point graduate, and he said that he wanted to be the youngest general in modern times. You know, in the Civil War, Custer and him were 23, 25 years old, and they were generals, you know. But not anymore. But he wanted to be the youngest general ever in modern times. So his name was Iron Mike, and he lived up to his name. And so we were in front of him there after they brought us back on the ship in handcuffs. And he's telling us all these things that he was going to do to us. And we already knew that we had to be E3s, uh, private first class, to be in Vietnam. You couldn't be in Vietnam less, in any rank less than that. And he was telling us how he was going to throw us in Leavenworth for desertion and all this other stuff. And uh, one of the guys with us said... Uh, you mean you're going to put me in jail and I don't have to go to Vietnam? <laughs> and the guy just he just closed his eyes, his eyes rolled back, and he said, "I want all those stripes off of all of it." But to be in Vietnam, like I said, you had to be a PSC, and the ship was only 24 hours from Vietnam. We're going to be in Vietnam 24 hours after the ship leaves that dock, and the sh- ship left the dock just after dark. Oh shit! And so we were in Vietnam in 24 hours
0: so you had no, you were going there regardless we
1: were going there <laughs> and we knew he was full of horse pucky yeah right
0: and so we uh, you you end up in Vietnam we just we just left Philippines you're in mm-hmm. Vietnam you're getting
1: off the ship and then what do you what, what's it like I mean what what What's this place like? We didn't know what to expect. I mean, our minds ran all the way from Evo Jima to whatever. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, fighting our way onto the. We didn't. We just flat didn't know what to expect, and nobody gave us any information. The officers didn't give us any information. Uh, scuttlebutt was just everything you can imagine, and what it was, we the of uh, the. CVs, uh, the, I guess the CVs. There was a dock there in Cameron Bay. And we went to Cameron Bay. That's where we went, and we offloaded the ship. And I have to say, the uh, the, uh, uh, the sailors they were like a greased well oiled machine. They were so good at what they did. I mean, they were picking that equipment up and getting it off that ship so fast. So we stayed there in Cameron while they offloaded all the troops and gun jeeps and the rifles and everything else. They were uh-huh. all these big Connex containers. And, uh, and uh, I can't remember now whether it was that day or the following day. We spent a couple of nights there. And I can't remember it was that day or the following day. They fell us all out in this big open area. And here came uh, a general and a couple of politicians. I don't remember who they were. They uh, were. Uh, I looked them up when I wrote the story you read. Mm-hmm. I looked them up to see who was there because I didn't remember. And we were uh, we had the gun jeeps and we were on guard on the roads in and out to make sure nobody came in and got a shot off. But these politicians and these and these generals and and these Vietnamese politicians they all went up there and, and screamed and yelled and pointed their fingers and the, and we know that you're going to you know all the regulars you go get them. Speeches, mm-hmm. And what they were really saying is, we got you now here and a lot of you ain't going to go home. Oh, shit. Yeah. And we, we knew it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: so it was, it was,
0: then after that, did you find yourself moving into like a, a Ford base inside
1: Vietnam? At, we had a, we had a home base at Phan Rang was the name of it, but we never saw it. I saw it for a, uh, when I went on r and r I saw it for a night or two, and we went back there one time uh, for like three nights, but we were in the field the whole time. We were the first there, so I mean we were we were stepping into it every other day, it seemed like
0: and it, it, and it's you just you're basically you're camping where you can camp you're you're staying over you're sleeping where you can sleep, and you sleeping. get up and and you just fight some more the next day.
1: Oh no, not really. We weren't fighting every day. Uh-huh. I mean, it's like a pilot describes—I'm a pilot, and it's like a pilot describes flying. It's Flying is panic when you're taken off, sheer boredom while you're flying, and panic again when you're landing. And that's the way the war was fought. You would, you would fight here, and you would be in your home base for whatever— and it's secure, and you're going into town and fighting with the rock army, the Koreans. <laughs> they were fun, to, and and things like that. But but uh, it was a mission, boredom, a mission, boredom, a mission.
0: Yeah. So it was just kind of cy- cyclic then at that time. Yeah.
1: Remember, I was in headquarters company. I was not in a line doggy outfit where these guys were out in the field all the time. Mm-hmm. I was. They would send us on a patrol. And we would come back and then wait for the next patrol. And
0: how would you get your missions? Like, how, how, how did you get your information? Like, you come down through the officers?
1: Or like- what would normally happen was the uh, G2, which is intelligent, and that is an oxymoron. <laughs> Army intelligence. But uh, G2 would brief our colonel, our battalion commander, and then he would brief the team leaders who was ever going to be the team leader. And then he, the team leader would brief us on the mission. Do
0: you ever get a mission that you knew, like, we're going into some, sh- we're going to hit some shit here. We're going to, we're going to see some action. Or this is like, this mission's completely idiotic. We know that we're going to get screwed over here.
1: Most of the time when we went in, we absolutely did not know what we were going to find because we would go into areas that they didn't know what was out here. I mean, remember, this is the first of the war. They didn't know what was out there, and they would send us into an area to find out what was out there.
0: You, you were essentially the probe. And the, yeah, you,
1: pretty much, yeah. Just <laughs> w- w- probing around for the enemy. Do go, you know? w- go over there and kick the bear and see if he gets up. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the, the mission was to make sure the bear kept sleeping until you reported where he was. Yeah, But... Uh, and that was, that was what we did. And most of the places I, you know, like in the Second War World War, they <clears throat> fought at Anzio. They fought at all these named places. Most of the places I fought at were just names on a map, were just numbers on a map.
0: Yeah.
1: But uh, uh, you were talking about knowing when we were going to get into it. Uh, one of my missions was I'd been in Bangkok on R&R. Nice place. (laughs) Everybody loves Thailand. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, we got back, and uh, my team was going out, and when I came in on the helicopter, I went straight to the briefing room. And uh, I was still in civilian clothes, and I'm dressing, and this particular mission, we had a guy from G2 uh, briefing us, Army a,
0: intelligence. Uh-huh, a lieutenant. Yeah. A
1: lieutenant. Green leg. I mean he talked with this little soft voice. <laughs> and what'd you call him a leg? A leg is any any person in the army that does not jump out of airplanes. <laughs> you gotta be real stupid not to be a leg. <laughs> but anyway, they uh uh so anyway, uh as i go over there. Here he was briefing him. And when I walked into the briefing room, I knew something was wrong. That, you know, when you come back from R&R, there are always the jokes about being on R&R and wanting to know what you did. It was almost like dead silence when I went in there, and I knew that something was wrong. And uh, I sat down, and I'm, I'm still putting on my uniform. And so the guy started briefing Briefing us, this lieutenant, and so after the briefing, he told us what he wanted us to do. The hill he wanted us to set on, because when the hundred and first did this sweep, they were coming on. This hill would give us a very good view of the valley they were going to go to, and and I could we could see any trouble coming at them. So he was showing us on the map and and all this, and so when he was finished. It was kind of a normal briefing. It was strange that I was setting in on this briefing because normally the the colonel and G2 would get together, he would brief the team leaders, and then they would brief the team. And so it was kind of strange that I was sitting in there. We were all sitting in there. And so I asked him after the briefing was over, I said, uh, when, is, wh- when is the 101st going to be there? And he said, they're already there. And that's... That's what lit my fire. Now I knew what these guys were, what their problem was. I knew now what the problem was. The 101st was already there, so the NVA, the, the with was NVA troops, North Vietnamese Army troops, they knew, or they suspected, they thought we were already there. They thought the long-range patrol was already in there, and they were looking, guaranteed they were looking for us at that time, but now they're on alert And they're going to send us in to this area, and these troops are on alert. They're waiting. They don't know when the 101st is going to invade, so they're ready to go. And now they're sending us, instead of sneaking in with nobody around and getting set up and, you know, what we could do, we were going to have to go in there with these guys already looking for us. And that's what what everybody was scared to death about.
0: And then, so... Progress, like I've read that story that you you've written and you you shared with me so progress what ended up happening so you end up you end up inserting in there right you're
1: well we we uh, there was a trail and a wooded area and now the wooded area we were set up on the hill and we were overlooking the trail because this trail was the only trail large enough to bring any amount of troops up And but the wooded area was so thick that they couldn't come through that wooded area, and do any good. They're going to get trapped in that wooded area. So he knew where they had to come. And my job was to watch that trail. Our job, I should say, watch that trail, and call artillery whatever necessary if they when they started moving up to engage the 101st. Well, we got to the high point where we were supposed to stand and watch. And just as I set my, my pack down against a tree and leaned back, I heard bullets hit all in the trees. I mean, they were hitting on the ground and in the trees. And you hear the snap of the bullet before you hear the report of the rifle. Oh, wow, shit. You hear the bullets impacting around you before you hear the report of the rifle that's shooting them. And they, and they, were, already, they were already on us. And we were 1,500 meters from safety, shall we call it. And they had already cut us off. So we were we were trapped.
0: So there's guys in front of you and behind you. They were in
1: front, behind, everywhere. Oh, shit. And we were trapped.
0: And so h- how did you end up getting out of there?
1: Day called Campbell said, go and pointed toward the road. And the ditch was on the other side of the road. And to our right was a very large open field. And we didn't want to run into that field.
0: Yeah, you'd be shooting ducks at that oh, point, yeah.
1: right? And so we ran into that ditch, and Campbell turned away from the fire, away from our troops. He turned to his right and started running down the ditch, and I was number two, and the ditch had men in it. They were setting up an ambush, and we ran right into the ambush, and Campbell just kept running right straight through them, shooting ahead of me. Could hear people screaming, and everybody was shooting every direction.
0: And... And you're discharging your rifle also at this point too, then, right? Yeah, I'm
1: shooting at anything that moved. <laughs> yeah. Dead on the run, shooting yeah. at anything that
0: moved. And then you end up basically end up finding safety at that point.
1: What we did is the, we ran down the ditch and the and the road and the ditch turned directly left, it was almost a almost a square turn. It was a real sharp turn to the left, and then followed the wooded area around. And when it did. Campbell just ran out of the ditch straight over the road and took a position on the other side of the road, and I ran over the road on the other side, and we counted our men as they came out. And as soon as they got all, we had six men, normally we had five, but we had a new guy named Monroe. And so we were carrying six, an extra man. And we, as soon as we counted all the men out, Campbell and I just put two full magazines into the uh, ditch. I mean, just sprayed the ditch. We weren't shooting anything, just spraying the ditch. And we turned and ran the other way, followed the other guys.
0: Okay, so you, you you ended up getting out of the ditch and you did you guys find some sort of safety at that point?
1: Well we what we did is we ran down into that open field I was telling you about and there was a rock wall and we got behind it to find out what had happened. Because you don't know what had happened, it's black dark. And uh Monroe, the new guy, he had, his trigger finger had been shot off. There was a there was a bullet hole right through the receiver of his M16, and he had taken his trigger finger off. And Debonis was wrapping it and trying to get the bleeding stopped and all that. And and we reported in what we happened and this kind of stuff. And then once we reported in, we we had to find a place for the night. So we walked across this field, and we were going up all the time. We were getting on higher ground all the time, and that's what we wanted. Uh, as you know, you see a lot better from higher ground. And so anyway, we, we climbed up this on this higher ground. We came to an area that was just as flat as this tabletop. It looked like a football field. And the grass on it was short grass. It wasn't big elephant grass, nothing. It was just a flat area and we crossed across the area, uh, we crossed across the field into a, a little wooded area on the other side. And this was a good place to spend the night simply because with that field in front of us, it gave us a full field of fire and we could see anything coming at us. And they couldn't come from behind us because the, uh, the woods and stuff were so thick that if they tried to come from behind us, we could hear them. So we were in a fairly a safe position at that point. So that's where we spent the night.
0: <laughs> so, and then when did the 101st come? And
1: They started their sweep about 9 o'clock in the morning, I think it was.
0: And, and then that's where they ended up coming across you then at that
1: point? Well, what happened was we heard early in the morning, we heard voices. And so we realized that there were Vietnamese troops. I mean, right, right to our right— and above us, in the wooded area, we realized that they were there. And I guess they'd been there all night. And it turned out to be an OP, an observation point. And these guys are the ones that call artillery fire and stuff like this. And and so we we had to get out of there. It wasn't quite light yet, so we went back across that empty field. And on the other side of the empty field, right where the empty field stopped, there was a, a trail around the empty, uh, beside the empty field for people to walk. And there was a, a big slope went straight down to another feet, another uh, trail, about uh, 20 yards below that trail. So we had a nice area on the side of the slope, and it was wooded and everything to hide. And so we hid there. And when we realized that that's what this was, was an OP, we could see the guys looking with binoculars and stuff. We realized it was an OP we had to call a fire mission. We had to get we had to get some fire on that because we didn't. They were going to put their own mortars and stuff on the hundred and first coming across that field.
0: So you called in artillery at this point.
1: One-five-fives. fives.
0: One, one uh, five five. So big howitzers. Big howitzers. Yeah. And and how did you report that to them? You, via you had the radio. Somebody has the radio. We have
1: a radio. Yeah, sure.
0: And then you're calling it in. You're telling them I want I want to hit this tower. And what are they saying to you?
1: Okay. Well, what happens? Is I was the I was a forward observer. I'm, I'm trained to call fire on a target. Okay. And how you do this is your your artillery knows where you are. They know exactly where you are, and you shoot a bearing to the target you want. Okay. They're setting a 270 degree bearing from where I am. And now the guns they can be over here. They can be completely right angle to you but they're looking at the target like they're sitting where you are on their map Uh so when they I give them the coordinates and everything to the target I tell them what kind of explosives I want I wanted HE contact that meant when the shells hit the ground they exploded I did not want air burst because we were so we were only 50 yards maximum away from these people and if you shot an airburst, even though we were down below, the airburst goes off here, it would shower us with shrapnel along with everything else. But if it was, if it was a contact, HE contact, it would explode here and we were on that, on that ledge, that slope, and the shrapnel would go over our heads. So we, we told them we wanted HE, high explosive contact. And uh, so anyway, now when the rounds fall, when the rounds fall, I'm looking at the round falling, and I'm giving the guns over here my adjustment on the target. And if the let's say the the round fell long for me, mm-hmm. well, actually it's actually to the right for the guns. But well, what they do is they 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 compute where the rounds fell on my corrections. They compute the guns and instead of moving down to bring the rounds shorter, well, they are actually going to move to the left. And so, but I, I don't have to deal with that. I just tell them where the rounds landed from my vantage point. Mm-hmm. And the first the first rounds landed about, uh, we couldn't see exactly where they landed in the, in the trees behind them, but it was close. It was real close. And I gave them, I remember the, I gave them the command of drop 50 yards and, you know, and they were going to try to zero them again, and they dropped 50 yards, and this time, the round fell between us and the OP. And those big rounds going off that close to you, I mean, you, they're picking you up off the ground. Jeez. And the air, and then I gave them a correction, up 25 because it, it looked to me like it was falling right in line.
0: Uh, they're not firing over your head, are they? They're
1: firing from, I don't even know where they're firing <laughs> from. I have no idea. I just know the rounds are coming in. I have no idea where they're coming in. That's scary, man. And so anyway, I gave him a microstractive. I gave him up 25, fire for effect. And the guy comes back on. He said, uh, he said you're too close. You're danger close. And I turned around, I had to confirm it with the team leader, of course. I said, uh, I I told the team leader, I I turned around and I said, on my command. I turned and looked at Day and said, on my command, that means bring it. Mm -hmm. And if it hits me, if it hits me, you're cleared because I said, on my command. And so, and the guy said, on your command, and here it came. I mean, now it wasn't one shell at a time, it was salvos at a time. And, I mean... there was no there is no way to explain to you what that looks like, when you're only fifty yards away from it.
0: And it just round after round. After it just round.
1: kept falling, and they were just I mean, people were running, and they were it they, they were on target.
0: God. that's and that's got to be a scary poor thought too, because you're like if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, I'm going to get one of those right down my throat. That's right, that's right. God man, I can't I can't imagine. And then you ended up being. The 101st ended up sweeping through it and, and, and getting you in. Will you tell the story about getting your Purple Heart then?
1: Well, what happened then was they knew, the, the NBA, the Vietnamese, knew that we were right there. They knew if we spotted that OP, we had to be close. Yeah, And they were actually in, in the brush and stuff. They had these bamboo poles, and they were beating the brush, trying to make us run like you would a rabbit. But they were, they couldn't, I I think, I think the truth of the matter is, is they couldn't believe that we were as close as we were. I mean, we're sitting in having breakfast with them, we're so close, and they were looking all around for us, but they were looking too far away from where the impact point was. And so uh, this went on, and we're watching, we can see the 101st sweeping across and the the firefighting and, and shooting and all that coming across. And the Hundred and First was starting to get real close now. And these guys were either run or fight. Yeah. Flee or fight. And they were and they didn't want to take on the Hundred and First, eyeball to eyeball. So they started running away. And so we're hiding and now we're seeing Hundred and First Troopers at the far end of the open area I'm talking about, of the flat area. But we're not gonna move simply because we know that they may they want us. They want us worse than they want somebody else. And we know that there's a good chance as they left two, three, four men, so if we get up immediately, they're going to know who it was and they're going to get us. So we stayed hid until the 101st was all over this open area. We were hiding from the 101st. <laughs> By this time, I mean, they were walking I could reach I was so close to the trail I could reach out and touch them as they walked down the trail. The Vietnamese also walked down the trail. I could have touched them with my hand. And so anyway, the hundred and hundred and first now they're all over the area and there's sporadic shooting going on, but we know they if you can call it secured the area, they've done it. And this guy standing there right above me and I said, Hey trooper. He turned around and goes, I found him, I found him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so after he found you there they you he ended up this trooper ended up going down the trail and you were you were pointing. No, no, no. Is that's, a different that, one? Yeah, that's different. Okay. Uh,
1: uh, Monroe was, we were out of morphine. Monroe was in big pain. Oh, because um, you had to keep giving Monroe morphine, Yeah, yeah, right? I think it was shot off. He was hurt. Yeah. So anyway, now there's two or three medics around. Now there's a bunch of people around. And we're now we're out, out on the trail. We're, we're not hiding anymore. We're standing with them. And, and uh, all of a sudden, this guy comes up and he said, uh, he said, uh, Certain uh, Day, uh, Colonel wants to see you and the captain wants to see you because I was the number two. And so Dave went to talk to the colonel and I went to brief the captain. And we were sitting on just kind of a little embankment, a little hill embankment. And the minute he pulled out his map, the instant he pulled out his map and I was going to show him what we had seen on the map, a bullet bounced between my feet. And once again, I heard the bullet in the, the spray of the rocks hit me in the face before I heard the report of the rifle and there was a and there was a like a little cornfield right off to our right, and there was a sniper in that cornfield, exactly what we thought would happen, but we thought they'd cleared them all out. He was hiding in that cornfield and he took a shot at me and then jumped and ran and there was a hundred and first trooper that was close to him, and he ran after him, and I ran after the trooper and then uh, Basket and Campbell ran after me. And so anyway, uh, we went down this down the side of this hill. And the trooper that was in front of me, he was point. And he came to a, a V in the trail. And when he got to the V in the trail, uh, he turned around to me. And he kind of put his palm hand up, uh, his palm up like which way do i go and the instant that i moved to the, go to the right with my hand i knew i don't know whether he moved i don't know whether he made noise i don't know what happened but i knew there was a somebody standing beside a banana tree about 20 25 yards from me and I, when i looked it was an, it was a indian uh, soldier and he had a AK-47 pointed at my feet. Why my feet? I don't know. But he and when I I tried to swing my 16 on him, and it seemed like it was in slow motion, but it was milliseconds. Mm-hmm. And he just went right up me and hit me in both my legs and uh, and in my derriere, in my <laughs> in my dignity, shall we call it? <laughs> Shot a bullet through my bill of my cap, put bullets in my uh, in my pack. So, but he missed me.
0: Well, he got your legs, though.
1: Yeah, but he missed me.
0: Yeah, yeah. He
1: missed me. He didn't get me in the torso anywhere. Shot the front handguard off my M16. And I went down, of course, just like somebody kicked my feet out from under me. I slammed on the ground hard and turned around. When I turned around, when he shot me, he was holding the rifle under his arm, and he wasn't aiming it. And then it looked like slow motion. He pulled the rifle up to his shoulder just like you would aim a rifle and aimed it right at the guy on the, uh, at the at the V in the road, our point man, and just...
0: Load him over with it. Yeah,
1: hit him several times. God. But when he turned around and looked at me, he realized he hadn't gotten me, and I scrambled off the path into a little ditch on the other side and he jumped into a hole, and now he and I were having a shootout because my, even though my M16 front handguard was gone, was shot off, my gun still operated perfectly. There was no problem. I just Mm -hmm. had to make sure I didn't grab the barrel because it was a little warm on the barrel. (laughs) But he and I had a a shootout.
0: How far away from him is he at this point that you're having this shootout?
1: 25 yards maximum.
0: And you basically each popping up, shoot, 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 shoot?
1: Yeah, yeah. And my, my, I wasn't really trying to shoot him. I was just trying to keep his head down because I knew help was coming. Help yeah. was on the way. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, uh, they couldn't come. There was a, the path that we were on went around the hill. And this the hole he jumped in was right at the base of a, almost a straight up, I'm going to call it a cliff, but it wasn't. It was just a about 25 feet high. And. I looked up and like I said, they couldn't come around the trail because every time they stick their nose around trying to give me some assistance, he could see them and he had a plain shot at them. He had a perfect shot at them. So I looked up and over the hill, I could see Sergeant Day, and I and I and Day is looking down at me. He can see me fully because he's got the upper he's up on top the, of the hill, and I go shoot him, Day shoot, him. <laughs> and Day goes. And he pulled his hands up and showed both his hands to me like that, and both of them had grenades in them. And he took the, the you know, the lever, the spoon. Uh-huh. He dropped the spoons. It sounded, it felt like he counted to four hundred and twelve. <laughs> of course, you know, it was only a couple of seconds.
0: Yeah.
1: He dropped both grenades into the hole with the guy. He's right over the top of him. Both grenades went right in the hole with him, and the only thing he heard was in Vietnamese, "choi oi." With, My God. And then the, that and was it. Just a red mist and the body came up and landed on the ground next to it.
0: And that was just one fight that you had seen or or any soldier would have seen in Vietnam. I mean, that was That the,
1: was a pretty common fight, yes.
0: I can't imagine that. It just that day-to-day like that? Or, or well, it wasn't up.
1: day-to-day. I remember now, I wasn't in a line outfit. I mm. was, I, I, all my missions were specialized missions. Yeah. I went, I went for one objective. I went to look what's in this area. I went to sweep ahead of a unit. It was not my job to pull the trigger.
0: And did the, 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 the point man that ended up getting shot, you guys ended up rescuing him and, and getting him back to the...
1: Well, by this time, there was a lot of Vietnamese in this area. <clears throat> more than we realized. By this time, there's a pretty good-sized firefight going on. They were shooting at us, and we were shooting back at them, and, uh, <clears throat> and there are a lot of other paratroopers running to join the fight. These guys, I mean, uh, how can I say this? They live for that. These guys lick their chops when they think they're going to get into it. And they were running to join the fight. There was no hiding; these guys were coming full speed on to join the fight.
0: And you're talking about American soldiers. American soldiers yeah. running
1: to join the fight. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Basket and Debonis went up and pulled the guy back, and uh, the wounded guy. And he was still breathing. I thought he. Was, we were honest. I thought he was dead. And uh, now the, the firefight is going pretty good. And they were shooting at us pretty good. We were, like I said, we were in that ditch, so we were, we had a defile. We had an area of safety, and uh, and so I, my legs, I had taken my belt, and the belt from the wounded guy, I'd taken my belt and and made a tourniquet out of my belt, to stop the bleeding on one of my legs, and took the wounded guy's belt and made a tourniquet on my other leg. But I had no pain. I mean, it's not like I'm dying with pain and there was no pain and i picked the guy up in a fireman's carry and, and started carrying him back to the back getting some help and the other guys were you know in a full-on fight by now
0: golly and so you were part of lz x-ray the the fan, like the movie we were soldiers With i was
1: doing the same thing there girl. as i yeah. was sneaking and peeking
0: yeah, with Colonel Hal Moore and, and mm-hmm. the whole thing, and so tell me about that. Tell me, like, how 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 did that work? Because that that was that is that the Battle of Lay Hill? Is that is that the same? I drank. I drank the Battle I drank, and obviously there was a ton of Vietnamese soldiers there.
1: Oh yeah, there's know. two battalions of Vietnamese there. That that I, I we were in there two days before Hal Moore, uh-huh. and they were they were asking us, well, how many are there? And we were telling them, of course, we were having to talk real silent on the, we had the old telephone-type radios. Mm-hmm. And we cut the, you know, I mean, that's how close these people were. And we were telling them they're everywhere. They're in here like ants. They're everywhere. And, and we couldn't impress on them of how many people were there. And when they come in with those helicopters, they're kind of going to come in at most 10 at a time with seven guys on each helicopter. I think that's what they carried, with, plus the air crew, of course. Mm-hmm. Six or seven guys, and you come in with 10 helicopters, and that would be a big insertion, 10 helicopters. I didn't have any idea what they thought they were doing because you dump 70 men out, and these and these people are everywhere. What do you think going to happen? But they came, and I couldn't believe it.
0: <laughs> and so, uh, you after the air calf had inserted into LZ X-ray, did, did you end up getting pulled out of the out of there at that
1: point? Well, what happened was the uh, uh, we were. Let me see. remember, guys. We're talking fifty years ago, mm-hmm. fifty-seven years <laughs> ago. Now, uh, we were on a, a, just about a mile south of. Uh, excuse me, due west of X-ray. I'm trying to picture it in my mind. Due west of X-ray, there was a hill. There was a pretty good-sized hill. And we were on top of this hill. And we were calling artillery and and stuff on top of this hill. And we were just about a mile from where X-ray was. We could see X-ray full on. We could see the fight full on. And I think that uh, the Vietnamese, if they ever looked for us, it didn't feel like it. Their their main objective was x-ray. And just due south of where I was looking was the NDA headquarters. And I could see it. I could see their camp. And it was about a mile maybe and from my elevated position. And there had been a big bomb or something landed right in front of where we were, not when we were there, but before. And so we had a, really a, a good view. And we were calling artillery strikes, and I know uh, airstrikes and artillery strikes, and I know the Vietnamese. Well, I, I'm sure they thought it had to have been uh, the people with how more, but uh, if they had thought about it for a little bit, they'd have known somebody else was in there, because every time they would move, we'd call artillery on them. Every time, I mean, strikes, everything, and we did a lot of, a lot of missions, a lot of. Fire missions.
0: A lot of a lot of damage that day then. Yeah, you were able to we do a lot? A lot of damage. And so the story you had told when you had gotten shot in the leg, which was that your first purple heart?
1: No, my first purple heart was at the eye drain.
0: And so how did you how did you get a purple heart there? Uh in the there, night. There's not many people with three Purple Hearts that are still alive. <laughs> you, you got to be pretty rare. That's a pretty rare situation,
1: right? Yeah. I, mean, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know of anybody else that has three. I don't know either. And Well, that night, it was either early morning of the 15th or late night of the, of the 14th. We radioed and that we we're going to be coming in and gave them where we we're going to come. So they sent a couple of sergeants and a lieutenant down to that area to make sure that these guys didn't start shooting at us when we came in. It was pretty simple. There wasn't wasn't much. Uh, there were We saw Vietnamese go, when we were going in. We saw a lot of Vietnamese and stuff like that. But I think that they thought we were part of them. To be real honest with you, I think they thought we were, because it was black dark, and uh, we got into our lines and, They started fighting in what they call the creek bed. We actually called it the dry creek bed, and uh, we just, my team just spread out, picked up whatever weapon they could find. You know, I I found an M60 machine gun, so uh, the guy that was shooting it was either wounded or dead or whatever, but the gun was, shall we say, open, Mm -hmm. so I just picked it up and picked up a, a can of ammunition and went to what they call the creek bed, and we actually called it the dry creek bed, and I was one of the machine gunners in the creek bed there. And,
0: and that, that Dry Creek bread is actually in the movie, We Were Soldiers. Mm-hmm. They, they, they referenced that. Well,
1: it's the river.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, I'm, I'm trying to think back. Anyway, we were, we were fighting, and I was shooting the machine gun, and I ran out of ammunition. And so if you've ever shot an M60 or any of those machine guns, uh, you shoot it with your right hand on the, on the p- pistol grip, if you're right-handed, which I am. And your hand goes up here to steady it where it's on your shoulder, and you fire it like that. Well, when you run out of ammunition, you take your left hand and grab the pistol grip, and then you open the feed plate cover with your right hand. And as soon as I grabbed the pistol grip to open the feed plate cover to put a new belt in, a bullet went between my fingers and exploded inside the pistol grip.
0: So it cleaned through your hand. No, 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 no,
1: no, no. no. It went between my fingers.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And then hit the pistol grip and exploded inside the pistol grip.
0: Oh, and then all that shrapnel. All the shrapnel
1: and stuff went through my hand.
0: God. Again, lucky, right? Like, (laughs) as lucky as lucky can be. And then... Your, your second Purple Heart, was that the one that we were just talking that about?
1: That was the second and third.
0: Second and third. So you got two from there because you, you ended up getting stabbed in the back yes, also. Uh, yeah. And so when they awarded you two, was it because it was two different fights? I don't, I don't know how the Purple Heart thing works.
1: Okay. My two Purple Hearts came probably no more than 10 minutes apart. Oh, okay. I got the first one when the guy shot me the guy standing beside the banana tree. That Mm -hmm. was one. And then when I put the guy on my shoulder and started carrying him back, I walked away from... I tried to walk around the fighting so I couldn't fight with him on my shoulder. And I was walking, and a guy ran up from behind me and stabbed me.
0: Stabbed you in the back. Mm -hmm. But then you ended up... You had a knife on you, and you were able to take care of him, so you dropped the guy and took care of the... What
1: happened was... When when the guy ran up from behind me, he reached over the guy I'm carrying on my shoulder and grabbed me by the face, and when he grabbed me by the face, then he ran the knife through me in the back. Oh shit! But uh, and then you got to remember these are little people, and I'm I'm not a big guy, but I weighed a a buck forty, buck fifty in those days, and the guy's carrying probably the same size, and he was and he was probably five two and weighed 125 pounds. So here comes 300 pounds landing on his chest because he pulled me right straight back. Okay. And uh, so we landed on him, and when he was trying to scramble to get out from under us, both of us landed on top of him, and that's when I was able to roll over and get him down.
0: Okay. Okay. You're able to take care of him. And so that's where the second one came from. Then. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I see. All right. That makes sense. And then what was your during Vietnam? What was like your you have like a favorite memory or a favorite story or favorite place? Oh, there's
1: fun things. We did so much fun things. Yeah. Over there. I mean, people don't realize that it's like an airline pilot. He he flies, but then he's got all this spare time to have fun. Like yeah. We we had fun. I mean well, we won't go into certain things. Yeah. <laughs> but uh like, we'd go in town, we'd have beer, and uh, one of my fun stories is they, this medical alcohol. People don't realize you can drink medical alcohol. In fact, if you watch, uh, what was that old movie uh, where they were a hospital, Alan Arkin and all of them were mash. Yes, yeah. That's what they drank all the time. They made their martinis out of medical alcohol. Well, we went behind the uh, aid station, and they had, they'd just come in with a supply of medical alcohol, and they in these green barrels, uh, five-gallon cans. So being upstanding young soldiers like we were, we knew that they had too much of it there. So we stole five cans of it. And we went, uh, we sent a guy back to Fan Rang. They had a PX at Fan Rang, a, a store, a big store. Mm-hmm. And he brought a bunch of Tang the old orange drink tang, and brought it back. And we mixed the tang up, and we were pouring half tang and half medical alcohol. That's made 100 proof. I mean, this made a strong drink. Yeah. And we were selling it to the line doggies for $20 a canteen. <laughs> <laughs> Never did get caught at that. No. And there was a story about your...
0: your uh First sergeant or sergeant major had stole your
1: oh that's now yeah, that's fine. that was sergeant major Duco
0: yeah
1: now, so, now I'm gonna I'm gonna say rumor out of control here the tr- the the rumor was that sergeant major Duco was on uh, Eisenhower's staff in World War II now I do know that that part is true it, not his staff but his his uh, well he was one of the men that serviced the mm-hmm. general. And uh, anyway, so, uh, Sergeant, we we were driving down the road, and they had these little stands on the side of the road, and they were selling stuff. And I mean, they, we were just driving, and somebody said, stop, and we stopped and went over the stand. Here was a brand new bottle of Centauri, I think is the name of it, Japanese whiskey. And we bought it and we look, make sure you got to make sure these things hadn't been opened, you know. Mm-hmm. Made sure the thing hadn't been open. We bought it and so we put it under the seat of the Jeep so nobody could find it, right? And we'd get a Coke, which was pretty easy to get. We'd get a Coke and we'd make whiskey and Coke. Mm-hmm. And so we decided we want to have a little drink. We go over there and we get the bottle and we had a Coke and poured it in the Coke, you know. Took a drink of it and it was. I mean, I couldn't believe how, what it was, and it was iced tea. And we looked right past the Jeep into the Sergeant Major's tent, and he was sitting there in this lounge chair he had. I don't know where he got the lounge chair. sitting there, and he had a glass of whiskey, and he waved it at. Him. He stole our whiskey out of the Jeep. <laughs> and S.O.B. wouldn't give it back either. <laughs> and he complimented and said it was very good. Oh, I'm
0: glad, I'm glad he got to enjoy it, right? Well, and then so you you ended up leaving the army after five years, then right? No, no,
1: no. After, I, I was only in for three
0: years. Three years. So, and mm-hmm. then in, in, in coming home was that what? What was that like to be able to finally leave? Did you leave because of, of medical issues, or was no, just your no, time up? Was no, I was up? taken
1: right straight out of the, right yep. out of the line. Yep. I was right out of the line. Yep. and uh, went home, and I I think personally, now we're going to get serious. A lot of it was fun. Now we're going to get serious. I was taken out of the field, out of a battle. We were fighting. I was taken out. They picked me up in a helicopter. They took me straight to Fan Rang, our home base, where, the, where we kept all of our duffel bags and stuff. And they already had my duffel bag pulled out of the Connex container, and I just basically got my duffel bag and was still on the same helicopter. And they flew us straight to Saigon, to Tonsonut, which is the air base there, and I took my uh, my brown uniform. You see, uh, they're called class Bs. I took my brown uniform, and it's all wrinkled and all this. You can imagine what it looked like after being in the duffel bag. And we walked in, and oh, and they took all of our weapons away for us at Fan Rang. We left everything at Fan Rang. And we flew to Tonsonut, and we walked in, and you uh, walked up, and, and uh, your name, Sergeant French, serial number, you know, all that. There you are. Go, and we walked in there, and here was a shower, and it felt good. Yeah. The shower felt good, and I, I was, I was sure I was going to stop up the drain from the mud coming off of me, but anyway, I uh, took a shower and came out the other end, and uh, like I said, my uniform was all wrinkled and stuff, and and uh, did a little bit of paperwork and the guy pointed to an Air France jet sitting on the tarmac. He said, you guys, there were like four or five of us standing there and he said, you guys get on that jet and that jet will take you to uh, San Francisco. So we went out, walked up on the jet and if we were in that makeshift building where they processed us, if we were in there an hour, it would surprise me. And within three hours of being in the field, I was on a jet headed home.
0: So no decompression. No, no
1: decompression. We got to the Presidio at uh, at San Francisco. They paid us. Uh, I, I put. I had. I can't remember now how I got my uniform pressed, but they had they had somebody there with the, because we looked like hell, mm-hmm. and my uniform was clean. It was just wadded up. And they pressed it and made it look nice. And they did that while we were processing. And they paid us. We signed the ticket. We had a a big hot meal of chow. And then we went to, uh, they just took us to the airport, put us on a a jet to Los Angeles where my parents were. That's where I was going to go back to. And... uh, there I stood so, waiting and my mother and stuff were stand, stepping out of the car and I had just left
0: I mean 24, 48 hours early you were living in a battle like a firefight yeah. yeah and here you are in LA
1: drinking a cold Coca-Cola
0: <laughs> looking at your mom
1: looking at my mom and
0: how, how, how they just gave you your DD-214 and your last paycheck and said thanks
1: actually it was cash but yeah
0: yeah, like yeah gave you cash and said thanks so I Yeah.
1: Mean, it was that it was that and unceremonious. There was nobody there, no general there, no colonel there, no mayor of the town there to congratulate us on coming back and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, and you're gone. Um,
0: and I, I
1: can't imagine, I, I
0: just, they, I would think they would want you to stay. You know, nobody asked you if you wanted to reenlist. Nobody. Oh, would.
1: oh, that, that all came before. Yeah. I, to be real honest with you, I decided I was going to re-enlist.
0: But when you I were,
1: got, you were going to reenlist. Oh yeah, I was going to re-enlist. And uh, when I got out of the car, when I when my parents pulled up in front of LAX, there I stand in front of those big glass plate windows, and my mother's hair went from medium brown to snow white in the years that I was there. And when I looked at her, this makes me sound like a mama's boy. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go back, and I knew it. Yeah, there's yeah. no way I could go back. And did you
0: did you experience any of that? You know, was that later in the Vietnam War that kind of like hatred for the soldiers coming back from the American? Citizens? Oh yeah. Did you experience that? Or was it too early?
1: We were. My mother wanted me to take a final picture in my uniform and everything. And so, if you're going to take my final picture, I'm going to look good.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, my jump boots. Uh, were polished to where you could read your name at 30 yards. And I mean, and, uh, my creases in my pants, why they call it cut butter with them. I mean, I look good. And this was in, uh, they lived in Covina, California. And there was this a strip mall, or open mall, I should say, not strip, open mall in Pomona. And I was going to go there to have my picture made. And a lot of the war, anti war protests, came from, uh, Laverne colleges, which are right there. And so, um, I was walking through this mall and I looked, uh, looked up and here was this normal get out of Vietnam, uh, like a little booth, like a, like a little kiosk, I guess you'd call it. And there were several young men standing there. And, uh, They're seeing me come, and, of course, I'm right out of the Army, so I walk at attention. I walk with my head up. I mean, mean, it's just normal for me now, and I'm watching these guys, and they're talking to each other, and I can see if Claremont Colleges, and I know. In fact, Claremont Colleges were the ones that, remember Cali, the one that killed those people? that Lieutenant Kelly in Vietnam that killed those people and they tried him for murder and all that, killed those Vietnamese? No. Okay, well, anyway, that's something. That's enough, But that, it was the Claremont Colleges that pushed it, that started all that. But anyway, uh, I see them and they're talking to each other and they're looking at me and they're talking to each other, so I know they're talking about me. And just as I got to where they were, one of the guys stepped out in front of me. And I stopped and I, like I was a soldier, I stood at attention. I stopped, he said, can I ask you a question? He didn't say sir or mister or anything. Can I ask you a question? I said, yes, sir. What question would you like to ask me? He said, have you been to Vietnam? And I said, yes. I just left there. And he said, aren't you ashamed of what you did over there? I said, yes, sir, I am, completely. And he smiled and looked at the other guy standing over there and he goes, Just what are you most ashamed of? I said, what I'm most ashamed of is I didn't get more of those motherfuckers than I did, and I got a bunch of them. I, I, I made a right like a, like a soldier turns right took one step turned left and just kept on going past him, and he's still standing there
0: in shock right <laughs> well I think that's a great great point where we can kind of let off on the podcast and I, and I appreciate you Dan for coming on thank you for your service in um, just sharing your story so that I can share it with other people so um. You can and then Dan is also an author. He's published a book. Uh, if you want to talk about that, you can. You get it on Amazon.
1: It's, you can get it on Amazon. It's called Rattlesnake by Dan French, and it is not a book. Don't, don't buy it thinking that it's a book about Vietnam because it's not. It's a present day book. Mm-hmm. It's about the uh, struggles they're having in the Philippines right now with the Muslims. Okay. And that's what it's about. It's about American soldiers that yeah. that are there
0: helping. Uh, Well, that's excellent. Thanks, Dan. And and if you, if you have anybody you know of that would love to be on the podcast, please reach out to me. You can uh, email me at jared.j.man at gmail.com. And uh, you can also find me on Instagram under The Charge Podcast. So I appreciate you tuning in. We'll see you next time.